We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Ta-ta-ta! What's a strike? What's a and Unai Emery's Arsenal emerges as this Arsenal team seems completely incapable of losing. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I am recording this uh, once again from an undisclosed location. It's a hotel in Toronto on an undisclosed device. It is a backup computer using undisclosed audio equipment. It is Apple iPhone headphones. So all of that uh, baked into the fact that I have no way to really monitor my audio and know if it's sounding okay means that hopefully, hopefully when you are listening to this, it sounds a little bit vaguely like an Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Um, A little bit of housekeeping before I introduce the two gentlemen, and I use that word loosely, who will be here to discuss the 1-0 victory over sporting, uh, continuing our winning ways, 11 in a row now. Not too shabby. Um, First of all, the Metro, uh, a newspaper in England, has shamelessly ripped off Scott's shameless ripoff from Clive of Project 24. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Uh, Tim will have his video preview for Patreon subscribers for the Palace match up tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this. So look forward to that. If you haven't signed up for Patreon, go ahead and do it. If you don't want to sign up for Patreon, definitely don't do it. Uh, Certainly your choice either way. Um, We'll have it in the spotlight episode there next week. Not going to uh, detail who that's going to be on yet. Uh, because we want to keep it a secret and we haven't decided. And last but not least, uh, we are giving away an Arsenal shirt. I haven't been mentioning it enough on the podcast, but if you go to our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, under stuff, under shirt giveaway, there'll actually be a banner at the top. We're going to announce the winner after the Palace Pod. So TikTok, time's winding down. 
um, definitely want to get to that. Or if you don't want an Arsenal shirt, uh, definitely don't sign up for that because then you won't have to get an Arsenal shirt. In any event, Scott's here. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you've really taken to heart my request for you to improve your intros. And that that was a good one. Paul's here. You can find him on uh, on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. All right, we're underway. We're up and running. This is going to be a good old-fashioned, uh, what, what are they called, hoedown? Podcast. Hoedown? Is that what that's called? Um, yes. Okay. Uh, anyway, recording this from my van in Florida, by the way. Anyway, all right, uh, let's go. So, uh, 1-0, not a classic, not an instant classic, but a win and a win away. And I think we've seen Arsenal play mediocre football and not get results uh, in Europe away in recent seasons. Um, so it's nice to get the result, a result that really puts us on course to top the group and be able to take the last few games of this uh, group stage off. Um, so just real quick, super high level, Paul, got into some debates before the game, uh, even before the trip, about the merits of taking the big players on these trips. Clive has come on the pod in, in, in the past and talked about you know, how Emery doesn't want to have two teams. He wants one team, create that unity within the team that... Um, you know, everybody feels they have to contribute to the cause, and I get that. But you know, when you have a Mesodozo who has back problems, for example, when you have some players, you know, who you know you're going to need the games coming thick and fast, three games in a week this week. What's your feeling about Emery's decision to bring these strong first team squads on these European away trips? I realize Lisbon is is not a long trip, but I mean, are you in support of this approach, or would you prefer that he he be a little more careful? Uh, I don't know. I'm a bit confused by it. Uh, certainly the one that stands out is Ozil. I mean, either you have back trouble or you don't. And, uh, you know, it was nice he came along and it was nice he got to run up and down the sideline uh, with 10 minutes to go and get a little bit of stretching. But you would have thought the last thing you want is him on an airplane and in buses and sitting around hotels instead of either relaxing or getting a bit of physio. So mm-hmm. it's kind of an odd one. Uh, I mean, overall, ignoring the Ozil proposition, um, I think I like it. Uh, there's plenty of rotation in the side in reality. Um, and more important than anything right now is develop. He keeps talking about personality and imposing our way of playing on the opposition. And we're not there yet. I mean, we've a ways to go. We're winning. Our performances, to me, do seem to be getting better to the eye and statistically, but it's a building process, and I don't think he can take the timeouts that we saw with with Arson last year, where in theory at least he had a more defined and and um, familiar squad. People knew their roles, etc. But it did created a it did create an A and B, a first and second class citizen in terms of the squad, and that that's. To uh, that's the case to a much lesser degree here, um, so I kind of like it. Um, there's no real reason why anybody should be knackered at this point in time. Uh, everybody's getting a good run out. Um, I think it's okay when I look at it. Um, and, and you know the drop off. It's it, it was strange that Smith Rowe didn't get a run. Uh, I mean the, even the subs when you look at it now, he's obviously very serious about. Uh, uh, putting a marker down in the Europa League and that's probably you know maybe he's got the psychology right you know if we've got that in place there's no reason really to open a chink in our armour but I mean his three subs are Awobi 
uh, uh, sorry, I'm blanking here. Terrera uh, and Lacazette. And yeah. Terrera. Terrera mm-hmm. makes, made perfect sense because that was when we really started to click and we got the goal after that. But but still, Aubameyang and and uh, Wobi. I mean, they all make sense. La- Lacazette, Lacazette and Wobi, but yes. I yeah, yeah, Lacazette. Yeah, um, you know, those are some serious subs coming on. So it's interesting. It's not quite what I expected. Um, but I don't really perceive any reason there should be f- fatigue at this point. So I think it's all good. I don't think you have to get bent out of shape about it, although I always try to, if possible, um, on yeah. any topic, really. But I think you can point to the way the fixtures start to look around the holiday period. You know, I mean, Emery has not managed in England. I don't think he's yeah. experienced but, directly but what that's But who would be like. fatigued is my question. Um, I don't, you know, here's, here's the way I look at this, Paul. It's not so much that I have any specific concern so much as, you know, marginal gains are so important. You read Tim, uh, Tim Stillman's article about the new fitness center at Arsenal and, and the importance of every marginal improvement they can make. You know, the, the in, incredible detail that they put into refining these athletes, you know, and perfecting their fitness. And we do know more rest is always better. I mean, I mean, to, not to the point that you have rust, obviously, but, but yeah. more rest is better. And you look at Pochettino teams, for example, and the way Spurs have collapsed quite hilariously down the stretch in seasons. Slightly smaller squad, stretched with European competition, plays a pressing style, and they start to fail in the back half of the season. And, you know, Emery does have us running more than any team in the league. Uh, he, he clearly wants a very fit side that's very um, energetic and runs a lot, which is great. But maybe you then have to start to say, look, to finish in the top four, let alone win a title, I mean, let's not even go there yet, you have to maximize every tiny little marginal gain you can have. And that a chance to rest, even if it's 10 more minutes of rest, even if it's one more day of rest, it may seem silly, but over the stretch of these seasons, those marginal gains can can be the difference between... I mean, you look at two seasons ago, we finished one point out of the top four, um, and our, the whole trajectory of the club changes, and that's just that's one silly slip-up. You know, maybe you're a little t- more tired at the last 10 minutes of a game, away to Newcastle, and you, you give up a silly equalizer, and now you finish fifth instead of fourth. Look... I don't think it warrants much more conversation than this, but I, I don't think it is unfair to to weigh balance the equities between squad cohesion and you know keeping one team and building on the the momentum and saying that the need for rest and recovery and and taking advantage of that extra day off that the other big clubs don't get probably weighs a little more heavily. I mean, that, here's that's, my yeah. lightning quick counter, sure. which is the sooner we play well. And cohesively, the easier it is and the less tiring it is to play. And the more that he's integrating all these different players into a rotating squad of players that are playing well together, the easier it is. So he's getting a double benefit. A, we're playing better so we control the game. B, more players are fitting into the system and interchanging. And I think that's the benefit of doing what he's doing. Okay. Yeah. I, like, again, it's I want to make, make it clear, right? Sorry. Like, I. I'm not, I don't think this is a crucial debate, mm. which is why we spent the first 10 minutes of the podcast on yeah. it. Um, I just think that it is something that if we come up just a little short of our goals this season, and if there's a player who's maybe a little off the pace a little later in the season, 
you can't help but think, could we have managed this group stage a little differently? Now, let's leave it there. Um, Scott, I'll refer unless, you to my previous yes, comments. Yes, of course. Uh, Scott, do you want to have just like a, a one-sentence answer on where you <laughs> fall down on this, given that we're, we haven't even discussed the match yet at all? Um, I think it's all about balancing trade-offs. Um, yeah, there you go. That's my, my answer for almost everything. Yeah, okay. Trade-offs. Well done. Okay. Bravo. Um, Jesus. So, uh, good. Then, let, let me ask you this, um, Scott. I, I think this game started out not with us playing you know, terribly, but we, we lacked creativity. Right? We lacked the ability to really build the play through our midfield and connect with the strikers. And to me, it looked like we were lacking a playmaker. You know, we had we had Welbeck, we had Aubameyang, we had Ramsey, who's more of a runner, more of an off-the-ball player. We had Elneny, who's a zero in in creative phase, and Ganduzi playing really deep and taking on more of the defensive responsibility. Mkhitaryan probably had the task of doing a lot of the creative play, and he wasn't at his sharpest. For me, the the issues here range from Ramsey's role to Elneny's role to Mkhitaryan's performance. But for you, if you had to sort of uh, key in on the central issue for why we lack that that creativity in the buildup. Where would you point the finger? So there's a, a few things that I would kind of point out. One um, is the way that the midfield was actually kind of constructed. Uh, it was a little bit interesting to to see where everybody was playing. So Guendouzi was in the the deepest role, um, and it seemed like Ramsey was next to him um, as part of the double pivot with El Neni as the furthest forward of the three. And that was a little bit baffling to me because it really probably should have been El Neni at the base with Guendouzi partnering him as the, the ball carrier progressor and Ramsey uh, in the free 10 role. You know, he's not the, the greatest there, but I think with this team, it's probably the best. Um, and then I think, you know, a lot of the dependence would have been on uh, Mkhitaryan to create. Um, but this one, we also are coming with two fullbacks that, aren't great and a lot of um, our buildup goes through the fullbacks. We had Xhaka filling in as an auxiliary fullback, which he was passable, but I'd never want to see that again. Uh, and Lichtensteiner, Lichtsteiner, you, I'll eventually you, you just, get that you just right. can't stop turning him into a country. His I, performance no, does not warrant nation, nation state status. Yeah, um, yeah so Lichtsteiner um, seems like he's past it. Um, he's a, a good shithouser, you know, getting fouls and everything like that, but actually creating things, eh, he's past it, I think, in there. So um, he's fine for the Europa League, but I think uh, Mkhitaryan really depends on an overlapping fullback to really get the most out of him. So him and Bellerin really work well together. But when Bellerin hasn't been there, he hasn't been impressive. So I think that that was something that, that hurt Mkhitaryan. And then the actual construction of the, the midfield really kind of made things a little bit interesting and, in, you know, not being able to, to free things. Cause yeah, you looked at the, the first half and um, almost, you know, five shots to five shots, but no real good shots. I think both teams were under 0.2 um, in XG for the first half, which is a pretty boring, um, you know, it kind, of, it kind of sums it up, to be fair. That's kind of kind of the pattern in play. Uh, do, do you think also Aubameyang was the one who suffered the most from the lack of wide play? I mean, the, the, the fact that you didn't have fullbacks really overlapping effectively meant that we weren't getting to the end line, weren't getting into those pullback and cutback positions and crossing positions. And so, you know, Aubameyang is not going to really be part of the buildup in the way that Lacazette is. He wants to make those late runs into the box for the pullbacks, for the for the crosses, and without those fullbacks being able to create those those dangerous moves, he becomes really peripheral. 
Yeah, and I think that both him and Welbeck tried to, to move out into the channels to try to create a little bit width, but I don't think that that's their, their strength necessarily. I think they're better inside the box, uh, you know, battling the, the center backs over, you know, trying to, to get outside and create, you know, crosses. Yeah, I think that's right. Look, to me, the, the clear fix would have been to shift Ramsey out to the right where Mkhitaryan was playing and move Mkhitaryan into the 10 position. I mean, Paul... Mkhitaryan struggled, I thought, I, and I don't think he's in the best of form right now, um, just in terms of finding how to get on the ball and, and how to be effective when he's on the ball. But I also have a little bit of sympathy because I'm not sure that he's necessarily playing with the combinations of players that suit him as well as they could. I mean, for you, would you prefer maybe in that first half to see him at the 10 and Ramsey out on the right? Uh, I would have preferred to see... Um, Mkhitaryan at the 10. I thought Ramsey had a very, very quiet game um, throughout. Um, I, I liked the way Scott framed the challenges for us. I thought what was interesting was that at the start of the second half, even before Torreira got on, we were actually starting to click to some degree, and yet it was basically the same setup, which said to me that Part of the first half was just players playing together who, who weren't clicking. And, you know, this was a different setup. That V with Ganduzi at the base of it in midfield. And it, it was just a little bit different. And maybe it's the Europa League and the, this funky atmosphere at sporting. But we just, we took the first half off. Nothing really clicked. Nothing really worked. And I thought, uh, I, I don't want to set off the Ganduzi Nazis. but uh, And I love the fella. But I thought he had a very poor... Uh, first half, if you can criticize a 19-year-old who's way overperforming. Um, I thought he he dawdled on the ball, was very indecisive, multiple touches, and I thought he was better at the start of the second half. And then you see what happens when Torreira takes hold of that position. Uh, he's like a kid who picks up a toy and rattles it till some of the parts shake loose. And he just shook their midfield, moving it quickly from side to side, and the gap started appearing. He started popping it up the middle. I think that was there for us in the first half. And so when I put those two things together, our better start in the second half and Mkhitaryan coming into it and uh, Obama Yang got on the ball a couple of times and well back, we looked like we were due a goal already and then much more effective when Torreira came on and much more cohesive. Uh, but I thought Mkhitaryan started co- to come into it at the start of the second half, and he he uh, he started zipping some passes around, and he even got got going a little bit with Lick Steiner on the right. Overall, I think he'll be disappointed that this was a game that kind of he didn't really get to put a clear marker down. Yeah. So a mixed report for him, but I did think he got stronger, and we got stronger. Uh, clearly we did in the second half. It, it's almost a little troubling how much Torreira has become sort of the oil in the engine because we just look a totally different team and so many players come alive when he's on the pitch and the platform that he creates. I do think we've seen so clearly how important wide spaces are uh, in the attack under Emery, especially for a player like Aubameyang. And I, I think that the fullback situation can't be overstated in terms of its impact on on our attempts to build up in the first half, and we had to find different ways to solve the problem. You know, the thing with Ramsey, Scott, is that this is tough. I mean, it's clear that when he's on the pitch, Emery sees him as that in that number 10 role, or certainly one of the more attacking uh, central midfielders. It hasn't really worked for him, and I think I am of the opinion that Ramsey is a massively, massively talented player, 
And at times in his Arsenal career, we've seen that talent shine through. But right now, it's not really happening for him. And this is a game against a pretty weak sporting team where he, sh- he should probably be the best or second best player on that pitch, him and Aubameyang at least. And, you know, for him to be as anonymous as he was is pretty disappointing. I mean, what do you think was the chief cause of Ramsey's struggles? And do you think maybe it's time, given his contract situation and his lack of clean fit in Emery's system, that we maybe start to move away from him as a central figure? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we were talking a little bit about this online earlier, you know, I think you almost need to really design your team around Ramsey to get the most out of him Um, because he does have so much talent, but it's a very unique talent that it really needs to be the focal point of your team to make it maximized because he's not really um, an eight because of his tendency to go forward. Um, so he's not going to, you know, hold his position like you necessarily want. Um, he doesn't always do late runs into the box, but, you know, he, he is good at doing that. Um, he's not the greatest passer, um, but I think he has that in his locker. I mean, you saw the pass that he did to Obama Yang um, to set him free to create his biggest chance. Yep, of the that day. was brilliant. That, that was, was brilliant. A, a beautiful pass. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that he is capable of. But he doesn't, you know, he might do that two or three times and, you know, it comes off once. And, you know, some of the other times it's frustrating. Uh, it's he, he's a he's an enigma. It's it's tough. And because it seems like the, the bridges are burnt with him on the contract. I, I think he it did. Is time let, to... let me interrupt you just for a second, because he did just today come out with some comments about that. So I, I figure I can read them out now instead of letting you finish your thought, um, because hashtag brand um, Ramsey said, Well, there is no contract on the table at the moment, so there is nothing for me to consider or whatever. We all know that the contract was taken away off the table. I'm not sure exactly why, because a few weeks before, we sort of agreed and I was ready to sign. Something happened. I'm not sure exactly what. But that contract is no longer there, or nothing's on the table. Hopefully somebody will come up and tell me why. I'll accept that if there's a reason, I'll accept that if there's a reason, but at the moment, no, I haven't had clarity. I'd like some clarity, but I'm just concentrating on playing my football. When the time is right, I probably will find out, but that hasn't happened yet. He went on to say, no, I don't know. I still don't know. I have no clarity. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I added that last bit. But basically, the the tone of it is, he seems like he thought it was resolved, and it's not. He doesn't sound very happy. No. Go on, Scott. Sorry. Yeah, so it doesn't sound like a contract is going to be agreed. Um, So it seems like Arsenal have moved on, so I think that when it comes to actually making the lineup, they need to stick by that and probably no longer shoehorn him in to actually make things work. I think, you know, him being in the Europa League, that's not a big deal. But I think when it comes to the league, um, you know, I saw last week when the, against Leicester just how good Ozil can be when he's in that 10 and when he has the, the midfield base, you know, around him to support with uh, the true wide players, he looks like a, a different player when he's not, when he's the focal point. And I think that he's the person who's going to be here for another four or five seasons. So he needs to be the team's, you know, main offensive hub that everything flows through instead of Ramsey. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, a, a bad situation, but I think that's the one we're in. There's not really much more we can do about that. Yeah. Look, I, I want to ask you, Paul, I mean, to me, the one thing that I could see is look, over on the left, Iwobi has really made that position his in the first team, and uh, or Obamiang, depending on how you see that. This, you know, the the ten position 
we've seen Ramsey tried there. It hasn't worked. Ozil just coming off one of his biggest masterclass performances of his Arsenal career in that position. You know, I would assume that Emery's going to want to try to get him into that position as much as possible. But over on the right, if you think Mkhitaryan's scuffling just a little bit, and Ramsey's had some of his best Arsenal form on the right side of a 4-3-3, is a little different, but not totally different. I mean, isn't that sort of the last chance saloon for him? Somewhere, a position he could make his own where there's no one in the squad right now who's really got a claim to it? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I guess you could say we've got three players to share two positions between Aubameyang it will be who can play on either wing, uh, and, and arguably so too can Obama Yang and Mkhitaryan. Um, so three in- that guy. Yeah, well, exactly. Welbeck, who's who's definitely kind of proven the point that that many made, which is uh, Emery will really appreciate him as the season goes on. So you know that's a fair point. There, there's four four guys, but you'd say Obama Yang and Welbeck are kind of striker, well, I know Welbeck has done this for a long time, but they're kind of striker second forwards playing there. So it's really Iwobi and, and Mkhitaryan after those po- two positions. If you truly want a wide forward who can who can weave and create uh, for cutback FC, which uh, we so frequently try to be. Um, so, yeah, uh, the, the thing for me, though, is Mkhitaryan is the natural player there. And I know he's maybe he's a little bit off the boil at the moment, but I, I think even that may be a little bit overplayed. I still think he's good enough that I wouldn't necessarily divert Ramsey there. And it's it's really, again, the age-old problem, season after season, of trying to find uh, a usage for Ramsey and a role for Ramsey. And it shouldn't be like that. We're at it again. We're now like... Oh well, maybe maybe we we divert him to the right wing. I I think the thing to do is, uh, as Scott says, put Ramsey on the back burner and let him f- fight his way into the team, and he'll get different opportunities in different setups. But as a central midfielder, you would think he should be able to impress himself on a game like Sporting Lisbon, for fuck's sake. No offense, man. No, I, I I thought they were terrible, and I expected him to do better. I you know I said so online that this is a game that he should really be standing out as one of the best players on the pitch, and yeah, for him to be so anonymous is is worrying. You know, and I, that's the I think that's the fundamental issue. I mean, yes, you're not wrong. He could define carve out a, a role somewhere else. But he's got to he's got to look game good like a, in a game against Sporting Lisbon. Okay, the first half everybody looked a bit crappy, but actually lots of players looked like they were starting to click at the start of the second half. And he wasn't totally terrible, but he wasn't he didn't stand out. And, and you know what I saw too, Paul. I mean, so much of Ramsey's game is down to timing and spacing of his runs mm-hmm. into the box to arrive for goals. There was one counterattack where he and uh, Welbeck basically ran into each other. And we've just seen too much of that from him in the yep. ten roll. I mean, it's why he was so good with with Giroud. Giroud would drop deeper to to link up. He liked to play the little flicks and tricks on the edge of the box and and send runners in. Ramsey likes to run into that central spot that a center forward wants to operate in. And so, I think if you move him out to the right, he can make more interesting, different kinds of runs into the channel. But right sure. now, he's just running into the center forward spot, literally, literally in this case, bumping into. Danny Welbeck in the box on a counterattack. So yeah, and I do I agree with you. I, I like spot. everybody talk. Everybody talk. One, two, three, talk. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> Scott. Go ahead. 
I think he was offside in that uh, situation, so he was trying to avoid playing it and, you know, got in the way. Sure. There. That was kind of a weird one. But he had still run into the, you know, the zone. Someone needed to pull off the the ball, off the, the central area, and, and you would think that Ramsey, as the, the number 10 there, has the responsibility to not occupy that same space Welbeck's going into. But, l- l- well, let me ask you this, Scott, because, look, I like to be circumspect and, and even-handed when it comes to players, but you're known to write a hit piece or two, and uh, you definitely did that in your By the Numbers column on El Nenny. We'll wrap up our discussion in the first half with you just sort of defending yourself and your hatred of this player. Um, what is it about El Nenny that makes you dislike him so strongly? The hair. Yeah, that's what I thought. No, okay, all kidding aside, I thought he was dreadful. I, I was a huge believer that giving him a contract was the right move, that, look, at some point you have to tie down your squad players. They don't cost a lot. They can come in and do a job. Increasingly, I'm not sure what job he can come in and do. He is the definition of footballing tofu. I mean, he just sort of occupies space. And, and I'm being a little harsh. There are things he can do. But this game, to me, was quintessential El Nenny in that he was busy but unproductive. Yeah, to me, he's almost that jack-of-all-trades kind of guy where he's pretty good at everything but not great at anything. Um, you know, you could kind of use him in any of the roles in the midfield, but he's really just replacement level at all three. You know, that's a you know baseball term kind of there where, you know, somebody you can go easily get, and he's pretty much the definition of that. Um, his passing is incredibly safe, so he racks up passing numbers, but... Um, I had a, a thing where I looked at what kind of passes he was doing. So um, 97% of his passes were short. I think he only had one, you know, one long pass, and his one long pass was actually um, a cross-field pass, so it wasn't even a forward pass. 22% of his passes went forward, which is pretty bad for um, a, place, a player who's in the midfield. That's something you kind of expect from a player who's further up the pitch, which you don't have a, a ton of forward to go. Uh, with 32 back, 30% backwards and 42% square. Um, And the other thing that was kind of interesting is with how far forward he was playing and almost the number 10 role, he didn't even attempt um, a pass into the box. Everyone else for Arsenal, um, you know, tried at least, you know, three, you know, Danny Wilbeck only had one, but um, that's, that's really surprising for someone who was playing it so far forward from so much of the match. And then you look at his defensive numbers. He does, he does put in a shift defensively, but he's not really at the same level as what Aguendouzi or Torreira does. Uh, he's not as creative as Jacka or Ramsey. He doesn't shoot nearly as well as all of them. It's just he's very much the off-brand of all of the players that Arsenal have. He's he's fine to have on the team in emergencies, and I you know using him in the Europa League that's fine. Give our other players a rest, but it, it is really obvious now that we have Aguendouzi about what he is compared to the other squad players that are, you know, potentially in our team. Yeah, and I I can't really see an argument for using him in any of the central midfield positions. I mean, you said he's a, a jack-of-all-trades master, none sort of like, you know, you said he's, he's very good at a lot of things but not great at anything. I would actually say he's deeply mediocre at a lot of things. And yeah, I was trying to be nice. Yeah, and again, look, this is a guy I, I was totally in support of us keeping, but... The the challenge is there's so little ball progression in the squad when you add him in. He he's defensively very quiet actually. His defensive numbers are not good. A seven a.m. kickoff. Tim from seven a.m. kickoff has always chronicled the fact that like even though he's regarded as being a, a safe defensive presence, he's very quiet defensively. He doesn't rack up defensive numbers, and he doesn't progress the ball. So what are you doing with a central midfielder who's not really a defensive support? 
but also doesn't progress the ball. I, I guess I just don't see the point of having someone who recirculates possession in a team that doesn't have enough creative players in it already. I think that's why Gendouzi struggled as well, because he didn't have that partner to do that. When Torreira came on, it made all the difference. Before we get to Torreira's influence, Paul, I just want to touch on Aubameyang really quickly. This is why I think he's a player that is elusive for a lot of people in terms of rating him versus like a Lacazette. He he didn't have a lot of supply in this game. So, you know, for him, he's not going to be involved in the same kind of ways Lacazette is involved. Now, I think, Paul, real, uh, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he finished number one in your uh, offensive value added, correct? Uh, he did. Uh, a lot of that with his shots. Actually, so he had right. shots in this match, which was really good. But Well, so this, this was going to be my point, is that he he's not tremendously busy on the ball, but he had the two best chances in the game. Um I wouldn't say they were clear, clear cut. One, he hits right at the keeper from the right channel. The other one, the chip, I thought the chip wasn't really on. He could have gone far post. But you watch it again, and the keeper does really well to shoot his hand up very, very quickly and knock mm. that out of, the, out of the air, or, that, or that's going in. And they were both great runs to set him into that space to, to get available. I mean, do you think this is the problem, Paul, is that a, 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 central, a center forward whose chief quality is getting into the space to, to have high-quality chances but doesn't contribute much else from open play is always going to seem like, you know, and days when he doesn't score is just going to appear that he had a bad game. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's a player who gets on the end of things. So you got to create the things for him to get on the end of. And I mean, it's quite instructional to see a team with both Lacazette and Aubameyang in it. Uh, Lacazette's come to the fore this year uh, much more. He seems stronger, more energetic, uh, much more robust. And the number of times he just drops into midfield, plays a wall pass, and then zips up the other end to get onto things. I mean, he's just a much, much busier player. Um, and really suited to helping build the play, and that's that's not who Aubameyang is. He's gonna he's a he's a world class tap in merchant, and I mean that as the highest of praise because there's he's tremendously intelligent about the timing of his runs where where he drops to where he finds the space in the box but his area of operation is the box now Lacazette's none too shabby either so it's really creating a challenge to get Obama Yang in the 11 given that he's really playing you know he's playing off the left wing um, and outside of his tap-ins which he's brilliant at um, there, there are better players, arguably, to be playing in that position for the other eighty-nine minutes of the game. So, it's, it's, uh, and from from Emery's comments at the start of the season, he didn't seem overly excited about playing both players and both strikers. But he's grown into it because, hey, goals will win you a lot of friends, and those guys are scoring. So, but, but. When we play the bigger teams or when the performances and the stats don't improve to where our results are at, the pressure is going to be on Emery to make some even tougher choices than he's had to make make so far. And Obama Yang from the left, uh, let's just say it's not nailed on that that's our optimum setup. So I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, Second half, we were much better, but it wasn't because we were creating width from the sides and yet. It, it was more up through the middle, some verticality, pinging, pinging uh, balls up the middle, got set Obama Yang off, 
and he started to look pretty good. Yeah, uh, getting some shots off, but it wasn't really a way of playing. You know that that second half until Torreira came in, we didn't really look like we were clicking, and we didn't have the width to really show Aubameyang off. Yeah, I, I think this is the funny thing. I mean, only Salah uh, has scored more goals in the Premier League than Aubameyang since he arrived at Arsenal. He mm. is our leading scorer on the season. He's one off the league lead in scoring, and. He's still a player that some people just don't rate because they don't know what he does when he's not tapping in goals. And I, I just think yeah. we don't maybe have enough appreciation for the skill that is running into dangerous spaces and then yeah. finishing those chances. Um, he's so, sort of like a turbocharged, I don't mean pace-wise, I just mean quality-wise, Theo Walcott. Um, yeah. he, he is just fantastic at what he does, but what he does doesn't involve having the ball or at least the best things he does. He had the ball, you know, a decent amount in this game, but that's not where he's best. Scott, the, the game really did change when Torreira came on. This is a player who has transformed us as a team. I mean, there's no other way to put it. We just look like a totally different team when he's in the side. I'm wondering if you can maybe articulate for me, since I'm not, uh, what's the word, intelligent enough, um, to explain why Torreira's inclusion totally transformed Genduzzi because he ran the show after Torreira came on and was just extraordinary. He had one line-breaking pass. I cannot remember who it was to uh, that led to a fantastic uh, uh, goal-scoring opportunity. It might have been for Aubameyang in the right channel. It might have been that one. I can't, I can't remember. But what is it about Torreira's presence for you that brought Genduzzi to life? So I think that Torreira does this for not just Guendouzi, but I think he also does it for, for Xhaka when those two partner together. He just takes off so much of the, the defensive burden um, of the two. He's able to drop back. You know, he's able to take the ball off the center back. So it's not all of them, um, you know, where all of that responsibility will fall on the other midfielder where he's able to do that. He's able to progress the ball. So it's not like the press can key on just one player and really kind of take them out of it and make Arsenal, you know, very predictable. So, you know, Arsenal can drop back either player. Torreira is a good option there. Um, he's very positionally sound. So when the other player does move forward, he does that with uh, the safety of knowing that Torreira is going to fill up the spaces that he needs to do. His ability to get on to second balls um, when the other team tries to clear it, he is so good at that. Um, you know, he's a small guy, but he is so good at beating people to that second ball, especially even if it's in the air and it's a 50-50. He's the one that's going to go win it. And that cuts out a lot of dangerous counterattacks before they even start. So it, it doesn't necessarily show up in the stats on that, but his ball recoveries are, are really important, I think, in that regard. Um, so I think that really is probably more than anything that shows up in the stats. What he's able to do is just the the freedom that he allows the other players to play with that he is partnering. Yeah, he he is incredible. He is such a joy to watch. And I, you know, I I expected him to improve us defensively, uh, or at least be good defensively. I was not expecting him to be as effective at progressing the ball. And it's not just with his passing, but he's willing to carry it a little which is a big, big improvement on what we've had in the past there. You know, I think one of the things that helps the other central midfielder when Torreira comes on, you touched on it, is the defense has to start to key on Torreira. They can't just leave him and and key on the other midfielder. So often the pattern of play when Torreira was not on would be give it to Ganduzi, and he has to try to build all the play. But when you have two people who can progress the ball, who can break lines from central midfield, 
it creates a much more difficult problem for the opposition midfielders. Paul, you want to you want to chime in on this? Yeah, I, I mean, it might be an exaggeration, but it's like he plays at twice the speed for the little things he does. I mean, on the ball recoveries, he's not faster. He's not more physical. He's just the first mover. He he spots where the ball is going to pop to before anybody else, and he gets his body ahead of them. He does the same thing with with his passing. Uh, I, I remember early on somebody saying that oh he, he just passes from side to side, but but a he does that at twice the speed, so that he kind of shakes again. It's this shaking the midfield movement players around. He moves it quickly one side, quickly the other side, makes quick decisions. And then the other thing he he does, and we saw it in this game, we saw for the goal is time and time again he pings it up the middle. He's he's pretty aggressive for a guy you would think was looking to be secure with the ball. He's actually very aggressive, very risk prone with those balls up the middle. He'll ping them up at speed. Um, I guess he has the confidence that uh, he and we will win it back if it bounces around. But he never, I he just, never, he never misses his short passes. See, that's the thing. It, you yeah. can, you can be loose with the ball when you're playing thirty-yard line breaking passes. You can't be yep. loose with the ball back to your center backs or across your midfield. And that, that's what I like about him. He knows which areas of the pitch he can take those chances. Yeah, to me, it's speed, speed, speed. The, the, the quickness of his decision making uh, means. He's moving the moving the midfield around and creating gaps so that when Chaka or Ganduzi get the ball or Bellerin or whoever's in that spot who gets the ball, they've he's actually kind of moved them one side, the other side, and there's a gap for them. And yeah, I think that gets us going. People are going to scream at their device when I say this, and I may be wrong about this, but I know there have been a lot of comparisons between him and Conte um, because of the role they play. I think Conte is a better athlete than Torreira. I just think he can cover more ground um, mm-hmm. you know, than, than Torreira can cover. Conte is also an exceptionally intelligent player as well. But I actually see a little comparison with Busquets in the way Torreira does it. Um, you know, may, Okay, maybe he's not as much the hub of the midfield as Busquets is, but Busquets never is in a sprint. Watch Busquets play. He never sprints anywhere because he has the uncanny ability to be where he needs to be, always, between passing lanes, um, you know, to make a lane for his midfield partners to, to give him the ball. He's always available, and he's always in a passing lane. And Torreira does a lot of his work with his intelligence and his vision. He And what I like about that comparison is you see Torreira take a position. Like, you'll see him go out to Bellerin to help cover yes. a, a winger or something like that. And he doesn't just wander out there. He goes and takes a, an almost defined position on the pitch. I don't know if it's the right position, but he's absolutely locked in. He the word I'd use is intention. It's intention. You know what I mean? There's yeah. an intention about it. Whereas so many of our players just kind of hang out in an area. He Amble. he arrives yeah. intent with an intention to be in a space that makes him available for his, for his teammates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, did you, do, did you think Guendouzi? I mean, I know you said he struggled in the first half. I thought he was mag- magisterial, as it were, in the, yeah. in the second half after Torreira came on. Yeah, and I think Scott's right. I mean, you see something similar that Torreira does for Chaka, and by loosening up the midfield, um, I've seen it in a couple of games where he comes on and they try to press him a bit, and then after a couple of minutes they say, "Fuck that for a game of soldiers," and they drop off. And so he starts creating space for himself so he can get his head up. And then he starts picking up when uh, noticing when to 
to lay it off and when to put it the other way. And so when Genduzi gets the ball, it's by choice from Terraria. He could have gone the other way. So he's given it to him when he's got some channels open to him. Um, and it plays to Genduzi's strengths. I mean, he even looks... He gives Chaka the chance to look upfield and get his head up so that when the ball comes to him, he's got his passes picked out. I think uh, it, it's scary to think what we do if we have to get by in too many games without Terreira because there, there is no substituting what he brings. And, yeah, I, I fully agree. Ganduzi came into his own. I thought it was doing better in the second half till Terreira came on. But, uh, you know, playing more like an eight really suited Ganduzi when Torreira came on. Yeah, totally agree. Scott, the the guy who wins the match, who we haven't even really talked about much, is Danny Welbeck. Um, it's a beautifully taken goal, which is not something you can always say from Welbeck. He had an earlier opportunity where he got in uh, behind the defense and c- controlled the long pass well, but then ran it uh, to the end line and, and kind of lost the opportunity a little bit. He is a player who has really made a point when he's been on the pitch this season to, to get something done, to make an impact, and to show this manager, or this head coach, I guess you would say, that he can be an important part of the squad. And, you know, he's a guy we could have sold in the summer. We didn't. He's now in the final year of his contract, and I imagine he's playing his way to, whether it's from us or someone else, another good one. Um, so first, let's just take the performance. What did you think overall of how Danny played? Um, I thought that it's a, a very Danny performance. He looked really good, strong, provided a lot of value had one chance that he you know, basically kicked into um, a sporting player when he had a lot of the goal to aim at. So I think that was one of the other shots that he had that was a, a big chance that he didn't convert. Um, had one goal called back on a foul, which I thought was a little bit soft. It looked like the player was slipping before Danny made any contact with him. So I thought that one probably should have been good. And then um, the one that he did score, that was well struck um, right through the, you know, the wickets and into the goal. I thought that this is exactly what you want from Danny Welbeck. He was, you know, hardworking and, you know, got three shots, got a goal, did everything that you'd want from a, a wide forward. He has such a great engine. He is not as fast as Aubameyang, just in terms of running down the pitch, but he's explosive with his first step in a way that just confounds defenders. It would be fun some games to actually see Aubameyang and Danny as two up front uh, maybe in a game where we were going to counter more because I don't know how you keep up with that, how you live with that pace and that explosiveness. Um, Paul, I'll let you get a word in on Danny. I mean, I don't think we need to say too much about him, but maybe you can also expand on the idea of you know, where he fits in now to this team and if maybe for a guy who we thought his Arsenal career was winding down, maybe he isn't a, a perfect solution to the question of who's going to be sort of our second stroke third option at the striker position. Yeah, I mean, my hazy dream is that he's the player that Emery says, well, well, I knew he was okay, but I didn't know he was this useful to me. I mean, I think he's just going to be a player that pays off all season long in the Cups, in the Premier League. Um, You know, he's had a career of not being a starting 11 guy, and he seems to be able to live with that and perform with it, but, but always pushing for the starting 11 and playing in important games. And it seems like he can cope with that. And that may always be his strength. So, you know, I mean, I love Aaron Ramsey. He's great. Uh, um, Always loved what he did for us at the club. He's a more talented player than Welbeck, just on a pure talent standpoint. Yeah, or he was. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it seems like his ability to contribute across the game has diminished. He, he's become more and more of a, a player with a specific uh, role and capability that's very, very narrow. But if you, if I were a betting man, forgetting the, the, the noise we hear in, the, in the, the media and the papers, Danny's the one that makes sense for us to renew. Uh, it, it just will feel like a shame if he eludes us. Uh, now, the only issue with Danny is he's at an age and depending on the kind of money he's looking for. And if he keeps playing like this, he'll, he'll be getting some pretty damn decent offers to compete with. Um, and, you know, we need to start to invest in younger players and that's a chunk of change. But, man, he's so, so useful. And I've always had uh, a great... Uh, love of what he does for us and and his way of playing. It took him a little while to get to to make his comeback last year after injury. He's normally a lot quicker than that. And I think a lot of people decided he was a bit average, but he's reminding us what he does. I mean, he's just uh, he's not a great finisher, but he, he somehow he gets the numbers, um, and it's not through a massive volume of shots. I mean, between some quality finishes and bundling them in, his numbers. You know, he he's up there with with most reasonable strikers somehow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's great. I, look, it's hard not to love Danny Welbeck. I think you know, especially and and maybe this goes back to the love for Giroud to some extent too, which is just when you see a player who you know maybe isn't the most talented player in the world. Danny Welbeck is not Aubameyang or Lacazette. But he has some really exceptional physical traits, and he's doing the most with what he has, and he always seems like he's working really hard on the pitch. And when those players come good, it's easy to root for them, um, you know, especially when they just seem likable, and he certainly seems very likable. Um, let, let's talk defense real quick, Scott, uh, and, and then we will do a, a quick little uh, Palace preview as well, just briefly. But, Scott, I, Holding and Socrates were the center-back pairing. I thought Socrates was great, right back to what he was good at. There was one... Uh, situation where he had to chase down a ball that he looked second best for and he turned on the Jets and got to it and it it always surprises me to see him moving that quickly. It's like a big refrigerator running down the pitch at lightning speed. It's crazy. Um, Holding a little less clear how I feel about him. I've heard some praise for him. I think he does the defending part fine but I I continue to see him struggle with his passing um, and especially playing out from the back. So do you think ultimately that regardless of how well Holding's been playing that, that the passing part of his game could be what prevents him from holding on to his place now that Socrates is back? Yeah, I mean, I think he also had the the duty of covering for, for Xhaka that was there on the left, so his ask was pretty big. You know, he had to, to basically cover a lot more space yeah, than what fair. you would normally be asked to, to do. Um, the one benefit is that sporting don't really have much of an attack to, to speak of. Uh, they have a, a pretty washed uh, nanny there who's, you know, not good anymore. He's great at throwing a- himself to the ground in, in outrage. I mean, they were a vicious pack of time-wasting, diving, kicking cunts, that that lot. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I would agree with that. So I, I don't know how much we can <laughs> learn Um you know, judging what they could do on the ball against our defense. So I am a little bit worried, um, you know, if this was the same defense that was going to go against, uh, you know, Wolford Zaha on Sunday. Um, I thought that they, they did what they needed to do. They, you know, really, you know, kept the the shots to a pretty much a, a minimum, no real great quality chances. 
Uh, Leno didn't have to deal with anything. I don't think they had any shots actually on target in this match. So um, all in all, I think it was a, a pretty good day at the office for the defenders. Yeah, agree. Paul, your thoughts? Uh, well, I liked the way we had two good shithousers ourselves at, at right and left back. I mean, if somebody needed to give somebody a kick up the arse uh, between, between them and Socrates and holding being no slouch, that part of our, our setup was pretty good. Yes, we didn't get a lot of, of uh, width on the attacking end, but I like a bit of shithousery uh, and to have those options there for that game worked quite well. That's, that's not necessarily our norm. But they're very much of the get your retaliation in early school, kind of like pub football. Um, it's a trait I always liked myself. I remember when I was playing uh, uh, football in my youth, um, I was still in school. And we, we did a school trip to a local petting zoo with some animals. Here we go. And, <laughs> and they had some llamas and some alpacas. And like as the group went up to uh, the, the petting section with the llamas and the alpacas, I walked up to the front and just gobbed up one in the face. You, you sound like a terrible person. What, what's the rest of the story? <laughs> well, the teacher wanted to know what I was doing, and I said, yeah. I'll get my retaliation in early, bastards. Nice. You, you know, it's okay if they do that to each other because they don't know any better. You're supposed to yeah. know better. Just FYI. Any, yeah, Not that true. I expected to. Anyway. Um, anyway, yeah, people didn't really understand, but that's what I like about Liechtenstein. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's not afraid to get the retaliation in early, and we can do it with a little bit of that. And Socrates, well up to it. Yeah. So um, I liked that edge to us, but I guess it's not really our go-forward plan in the Premier League. No. I, look, I, I, you know, I, I think overall the the defending is improving a little bit, which is which is good to see, and I think the XG reflects that as well. But. You know, a big question now has to be the Leno situation. Scott, he, I think he's been exceptional since he came in for an injured Czech. He starts now in the Europa League, and we know Czech is past fit. So is Leno going to lose his spot for the weekend? I mean, is, is Czech going to regain his, his Premier League keeping duties? I, I think so. I think that uh, Emery's going to go with uh, you can't lose your job to an injury. You know, I, heard that, I heard that somewhere before. So I think that's going to be the case. Um, I may not agree with it, but I don't think that Czech was bad, you know, shot stopping wise before he got injured. Um, I, but I think that Leno hasn't done anything to, you know, merit being dropped either. So he's it, made it's some sensational saves. Jesus, he's had some extraordinary saves. I mean, there's no denying his playing out from the back and his distribution generally has been better, but he's, he's done great at the actual goalkeeping part too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he hasn't done any of the things that people had me worried about when yep. he was signed. So, yeah, uh, Paul, Paul I, I heard you gasp. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. I well, mean, well, I, then I why didn't Czech start this game? What's that? Then why didn't Czech start this game if he's not going to go back to Czech at the weekend? Here's what I hope's going on: that uh, Emery's saying to Czech, "Listen, get yourself fully fit. I'm not going to drag it. You know, he didn't drag a few people off who had some." who were recovering at some level from hamstring trouble. I mean, there's three of them at the moment, uh, two, two left backs and a full and a, a, a goalkeeper. So I'm hoping what he said was, look, w let's not rush you. Uh, get fully fit. You're not fully sharp. Um, and that's why check didn't come. Uh, I'd be, I, I think it would be terrible given how Leno's played and given what he's given, 
to the team in terms of playing style from the back. In the same way you can see to the eye test that Torreira just zipped things around. I mean, I I always thought Leno was going to add to our playing out from the back uh, if he performed to his abilities and he'd make us quicker and slicker and more calm. And But he's, I, I mean, even compared to like the Edersons of this world, um, he's so quick with the ball at his feet. I, I'm amazed how silky quick and smooth he is. Now, he may turn out to not be brilliant, but he'll, I don't think he'll ever turn out not to be quick with the ball at his feet. He, his, the smoothness with which he transitions the ball, moves it around. I mean, there is not a blink, not a hesitation. I, I'm, I'm gobsmacked by how silky he is moving the ball around, taking it comfortably and switching the play. Not a blink. So yeah. uh, I just think uh, I'd be uh, – not too much that surprises me. Uh, I tend to go with, hey, whatever the coach thinks. I'm a big Czech fan. I think he's manfully played his way back despite a lot of criticism and some challenges from last season. I've been rooting for him all along. I, I was early on the Czech will make a comeback and he'll adapt. But this, I, I think that would be a bit of a travesty myself. It wouldn't make any sense in my mind either. We'll see what happens. I, I mean, yeah. I think it was uh, James Benj, is that his name on Twitter, who suggested mm-hmm. that the yeah. – the Leno start. James Ollie. I, I, I think I don't think it was Ollie though. I think there's another okay. guy. Um and you know what? <laughs> I don't know who it was. Somebody who, who covers Arsenal suggested that this movement that Czech was going to regain his place. I'd be surprised and I, I certainly don't think that would be the right move, but we can debate it if and when it happens. Let's take a quick summary now of, of the situation in the Europa League. I mean, we're looking uh, good to to top the group and have really our last few games off, which would be nice. Uh Spurs Eh, they could be joining us in the Europa League. There's some other big, big clubs that could be joining us in the Europa League. Could wind up being a pretty rough knockout phase. I would be, I would be fine with um, Spurs actually not qualifying for the Europa League at all. Or, I know this is going to sound terrible, I'd be fine with them making a comeback and qualifying for the Champions League knockouts and then just getting embarrassed in that because I don't want a North London derby in the Europa League. I know some other people are like, bring it on, we'll, we'll crush them. I don't know, we'll see. The good thing is, Premier League's back this weekend. Um... Spurs don't have a home. United are imploding. Uh, it's all set up for us now. Complete Project 24 and then go into the Liverpool match full of confidence. Uh, would be absolutely incredible if we do this. Um, it's a way to Palace. They've been struggling. They do have some scary players like Zaha. Scott, do you have your model in front of you? What's your model say uh, our chances are picking up all three points this weekend? Um, I do have it in front of me, and I just need to, to pull it um, yeah. real quick. I, you know, well, while you're, while yeah. you're doing that, Scott, I had to laugh at your... Your model post game against Sporting. I never seen anything like it. You said you had, we basically had, they had zero chance of winning based on what they produced in the game. And well, when you don't put a shot base- on, yeah, when, when you don't put a shot on target, you can't score a goal. <laughs> never seen anything like that. And basically, nearly zero chance of getting a point or scoring a goal. It was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, so I have Arsenal uh, favorites to win this one, uh, 56.5%, uh, 20% for a draw with uh, a loss at 23.8. So well, that's, pretty, that's good. pretty good, right? Like, I mean, yeah. for, for away games in the Premier League to be, to be that favored, I mean, a lot of people may not understand how these models work, but like, you don't see teams being like 90% to win. That's not, you know, even City don't get those kind of, those kind of odds. So... Um, yeah, I think that's pretty good. I mean, would you say the danger man, the clear worry is is Zaha, especially yeah. given our our, I mean, potential for fullback disruption. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting where he plays. Um, and I think they've, they've put him as a you know striker the last couple of times. So I think that I'd rather see him there than on the wing, because especially with uh, the way our fullbacks attack, I think there's more space yeah. for him out on the side. Um, they don't have Benteke, um, who is you know a weird guy. He's got the yips when it actually comes to shooting because he's another guy that gets in amazing shots, you know, locations, but just cannot finish them. Yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely am kind of predicting a three-one to, to Arsenal in this one. Cool, Paul. What's your prediction? Yeah, three-one sounds about right. Be interesting to see which uh, whether they play Zaha down our against our left back. That'll be the thing to watch. You know what I'm going to predict here, so I'll save it for the very end of the podcast. Uh, Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crap. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Pause. Woohoo! My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Tim and Clive in the comments. They'll be back for the post-Crystal Palace match where we will announce the winner of the Arsenal shirt. Go to our website, arsenalvisionpodcast.com, and enter. Sign up for our Patreon. Uh, you will get an In the Spotlight episode next week. You will get Tim's match preview. If you don't sign up, we still love you, and we'll still have great podcasts or terrible podcasts. You know, we'll see uh, for you here for free, as always. Anyway, so uh, no worries with that. In any event, uh, we thank you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Crystal Palace Network.